Welcome to the Jackie Service Show. I'm Jackie Service, where we are talking all things people strategy, entrepreneurship, and how hiring the right humans will unlock the next phase of growth in your business. As a former corporate VP of HR, my life completely shifted when I learned I had a brain tumor. From this moment forward, I knew that there was more. I dove headfirst into healing, mindset work, and spirituality. And from this space, my entrepreneur journey was born. Now I am a people strategist and founder of Serve Recruitment Agency, a boutique recruitment firm that helps scaling companies hire aligned leaders for growth. In this podcast, I'm going to share about my business journey, entrepreneurship, leadership, and how hiring the right humans unlocks massive potential. Welcome to the show. Are you confused about hiring? You're not alone. Majority of leaders struggle to figure out who they need, in what roles, and when, and how these people will have the greatest impact on the growth of their business. This is why we created People Strategy Sessions to do a deep dive into your business and help you build a clear roadmap on the talent you need to drive sustainable growth. We dive into your greater why, where you are today in your business, where you want to go in your business from a growth standpoint, and ultimately, who do you need to enable that growth overall? For more information, please send an email to Jackie at JackieService.com or feel free to reach out at JackieService across all platforms. Welcome back to another episode of the Jackie Service Show. This one's going to be fun. This is a new friend that has felt like a soul brother since the minute Mm. I met him Mm. and have spent some quality time with him a few months ago in Boise, Idaho. And I'm so excited. Of all places. Of Uh, all places. That's not a phrase people have probably heard recently. I spent some quality time with this guy in Boise, Idaho. It was my first time. I didn't even know how to say Boise. I was corrected (laughs) on the airplane. The Canadian saying Boise. What'd you call it? (laughs) And I had a a man on the airplane from Denver to Boise say it's actually like boy, like B-O-Y-C-S-E-E. So I was corrected on the airplane on my way to Idaho. That's great. I don't even know if I'd call it boy C or boy Z. I think I probably, I'm like you. I'm more Canadian. I think I call it Boise. I think you are more Canadian than you think. Yeah, me too. I know, right? You're, I just got of... off. I just got off a call with uh, with uh, Desium out, based out of uh, Toronto. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Practically yeah. Canadian. There we go. Yeah. Adrian, welcome to the show. I'm excited to dive into this one. So glad to be here. Thank you for that feedback, and have felt the same. Immediate mm-hmm. connection, trust. Um, you know, you get around certain people and you you know they've got gravitas professionally, right? And mm-hmm. people know that with you as soon as they're around you. It's like, oh, she knows exactly, she knows what she's doing. But then, you know, there's certain folks that are like very highly competent and then attitudinally blow you out of the water. And that was my experience with you. It's like, oh, wow, she's like here for people, really committed, really connected. Um, so anyway, feeling's been mutual. Thank you. Received. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, I want to do a bit of a, we're going to start high level and work our way down into more of a rapid fire style question. So people tuning in can get to know you a little bit better. Got it. All right, cool. Where did you grow up? I grew up 
in a small town in Southern Illinois mm -hmm. uh, called Salem, Illinois, 8,000 people surrounded by cornfields, one high school in the whole County, you know, all white people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where do you live now? Now I live in West Hollywood, California. So right in the heart of Los Angeles. So very different than Salem. <laughs> I was going to say a little, little bit of a paradigm swing there. And when I'm we, back home, when I'm back home and it just, they're, they're, the, the notorious thing is like, oh, you're the LA kid. Sorry about that. You know, that's, that's what Southern Illinoisans say. It's like, oh, wow. It's like, you know, they have a lot of other harsh things to say about California. Now, have you, they've never been, nor would they ever go, <laughs> but they're pretty certain about how, you know, Godforsaken it is. Of course, of course. Yeah. And isn't that the truth in, in a lot of ways, right? How certain yes. we can be about things we have not experienced. Amen. Mm, yeah. Amen. All right. A favorite book, quote, or movie that moved you? Wow. 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 Favorite book, quote, or movie that moved you? That's there's the, that's like a four-hour conversation. I know. We could just have a podcast on that one. <laughs> um, you know... Let's see what a quote that comes to mind, maybe a heavy quote uh, to kick off a podcast with, but one of my favorite poems um, is one that actually that I, I, I read at the end of the Revenant process by a guy named David White, W-H-Y-T-E. And uh, it's worth looking up. Anybody that's listening, David White, and the, the poem is called Everything is Waiting for You. And uh, it's breathtaking, but there's mm -hmm. a line in it that is always you know, hit me very deeply and called me forward, invited me very deeply. And the line is simply this, put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. Put down mm -hmm. the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. It'll make sense if you listen to the whole poem, but that idea, and as we were kind of offline talking about this conversation we're gonna have and around the, the, the challenges, either big picture for leaders or especially, I work with a lot of founders. You've been interviewing a lot of founders. You work with a lot of founders. Um, you know, it's a, that's whole, like it's a lonely at the top thing. Mm -hmm. And even just for me, as I'm sitting with my journal in the morning before the kids woke up and I'm just sitting there, just kind of getting connected to myself, like what's really in between my ears. And I could just go have a typical Tuesday, or I could like listen to myself just so I can be, be my best friend today, which is usually my calling to myself. It's like, if I'm waiting for somebody else to be my best friend, there's a gamble over there. But if I can be my best friend, at least as a starting point, then I, and what I need to do is put down the weight of my own aloneness and ease into the conversation. Like there's things I've got going on, things I've need, things, you know, help I need. I always joke, but it's always true. I always need much more help than I want. Um, Cause I think, I still think I'm going to get extra stars if I pull it off solo. Um, that's not new for me. It's like, Oh, I can pull this thing off. I got it. I got it. I got it. All that kind of thinking. So put down the weight of that aloneness, which I think mm -hmm. we're all dying for, and ease into the conversation. There's so much love here waiting for us and help here waiting for us if we're willing to take the vulnerable step of inviting other people into our real world. You know, we're, they're invited into like the couple layers, you know, but like the deeper stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's what comes to mind. Oh, that's powerful. That is deeply powerful and and profound and and to your point the con how we connect is is through opening mm -hmm. and that's been a uh unraveling for me this yeah. constant of chameleon lifestyle what i think i should be how i think i should show up versus yeah. 
here I am. Yeah. With all, all of it. Here I yeah. am. Yeah. And isn't mm-hmm. it tough? I mean, it's a paradox. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a tension I think to manage because part of it's necessary, like to live out our persona, like to have a persona, like an ideal mm-hmm. self, as Jung would talk about it, like an ideal self, something we want to present to the world. That's actually a good idea. It just kills us if we think that that's the only game in town and we can't right. also have our, how am I really doing as, and how do I integrate these two things, the public self and the private self? And how do I integrate these? Because most of the despair people live through, and I've got this t-shirt, is like living these two very different lives, like the external looking and the internal feeling. And if I don't integrate them, which takes a lot of courage, um, then you know we're going to have trouble. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think, Oh, you see this, this quote could be the whole podcast. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's great. I'm down for it. I'm down for it. I love this. Oh, yeah. it leads me to the next question, which we're kind of stepping, we're stepping down the ladder here and we're going right. deeper as we go. And right. curious question for you. If you could have a conversation with your 18 year old self, what's one piece of advice you would give him? With my 18-year-old self. All right. So getting ready to go off to college. Getting ready to go play football in college, which was kind of a surprise and a delight that I got to go keep playing. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do in my life. Knew I was smart, um, but didn't know how to apply that and hadn't seen a lot of the world. I would have, I would tell myself today, most things don't matter. Most things don't matter. Um, and relationships matter. So go explore, man, like take the pressure off, take the pressure off. You know, college is about exploring. So Mm -hmm. go, you know, you know, touch all the corners, like go out and see experience do, um, get out of any kind of expectations. You know, 18 year old self was kind of stepping through, I think as we all are at some level, expectations of parents, expectations of culture. I came from a very deep kind of faith background that had a lot of um, expectations baked into it, some of which helpful, some most of which not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would have given myself a lot of room, like, hey, the next 10 years is a big, long experiment. Your job is to go experience as many things as you can. Don't die, but do everything else right up to the edge. Mm-hmm. And, it all, and it all works. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I tell myself. That's what I tell my 18 year old, my stepson, 18 year old mm-hmm. stepson, who's getting ready to go off to college is let it loose, man. Go all yeah. in, be crazy, play, ex- throw yourself at everything. And uh, then you'll see, you'll get to know yourself. You don't know yourself when you're 18. The whole, like, what do I want to be when I grow up is such an unfair and unhelpful question mm-hmm. for 18 year olds, because some kids know, I didn't know. Um, and it's, it's an odd amount of pressure instead of like, Hey, why don't you go get to know yourself over the next 10 years? And you'll, you know, get closer to mastery when you get into your thirties and you'll find, you know, just experiment all, hopefully all in the same direction, but you know, go experiment, take the pressure off. That's what I tell myself. Mm. That's what I tell myself today at 42, by the way. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, yeah, that's advice. I'm listening. I'm actually soaking it in and allowing it to to just marinate there. Yeah. Gosh, I think about like, if that was a true sentiment that was baked into all of the, like all of our culture and our, think about like our schooling system, if that was just a reality of conversation that was at the table, 
Ooh, it feels so mm-hmm. much more freeing. I felt like my, I was chasing in my twenties yeah, because of these expectations that I felt were placed upon me and the expectations I internally placed upon myself. Right. And, and I you chased. Were, and, yeah. And you were heavy. I mean, you, I know you you were very successful early. I was and, yeah. and for the, for the gold stars, right? Gosh, yeah. if I could have this title by the time I'm 30, whew, I've made it. Yeah. Until you didn't until <laughs> at 28, I got the title and a brain tumor in the same week and had a major shift in perspective and a, wow. and a wake up call. I didn't know so it was that, the same week. What a killer thing. Like two days apart. Jeez. Mm-hmm. It was, wow. it was in hindsight, universally divinely timed. Sure. And in the moment, the darkest soul of the night I could experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that. Wow. Flipping your identity on its head and saying, okay, does this actually matter? Yeah. Who am mm-hmm. I now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, again, that, that quote will stay with me. I'll take that one with me. Cause I'm still thinking about at the 37 year old version of myself, how do we break sure. that down? And how do we right actually on. take that into, into what we're doing today? Mm. Yeah. All right. Last one, before we dive into some more conversations, a mentor or somebody in your life who has been profoundly impactful, mm. you can, you can say who it is, or you can just tell a story about a situation that, that really landed for you. You know, the first guy that comes to mind, I've had lots of great mentors. Um, and one of which you know really well, Dan Tacchini, who's a business partner of mine now. Um, I could talk about him for hours um, and what he means to me. He's my best friend, mentor, uh, business partner. But the first guy that came to mind, probably because you were talking about me being 18, was a guy named Dan Starrett mm-hmm. um, that I met at this retreat thing. I went to this retreat up in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and uh, it was on a lake. And it was like a kind of a leadership retreat, like a Christian leadership retreat back then, because I went to that kind of stuff back then. Mm-hmm. And um, we were on, I remember where I met him. I was on this, this ferry, right? There's like one side of the camp, another side of the camp. You get on a boat, it takes you across the lake. Pretty cool. And Dan was the first person that I remember that approached me saying, who are you? And I, you know, oh, I'm Adrian. I go to Millican University, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, no, 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 really? You know, the first person that like really asked mm-hmm. and he knew that I was conflicted, you know, cause I was like young, you know, ambitious leader guy, whatever, like that guy. And he had a sense I needed to talk to somebody and he was darn right about it. <laughs> and, um, in his words, this might be too weird for some people listening, but in his words, he said like, God, I remember the quote and it makes me emotional thinking about it. Mm. In his words, like God was doing jumping jacks behind me. That might sound weird to somebody that doesn't come from that worldview, but what a gift to think, okay, as he was looking at me, there was something in intuition in him that said, hey, notice this kid. And he did. And we had several hours of really deep conversations that week, and which really became a big opening for me to be honest about stuff I hadn't been honest about, didn't like have a space to be honest about my own struggles and my own wonderings and my own insecurities. And cause I was good, really good at looking good mm-hmm. and good at being a leader guy and was naturally doing that and was naturally caring for others. That's all good. But, you know, had started, had started early in my life, like kind of 
not dealing with some personal issues by serving others, you know, like that thing, like, cause you can serve others as a way to like help others. And then there's can be this mix where I'm serving others in order to avoid myself. And he was the first guy that kind of arrested that and said, Hey, hold on, you matter, dude. Mm. Like you're whatever you're struggling with that matters. And you can focus on everybody else your whole life. And you could be really lonely and really despairing. Now it took me a long time to get that, um, to let that really sink in is like to make sure, I don't know, we talk about it in like very, oh, pop culture language, like, you know, put your own mask on first. Now people say, or like fill up your own cup first and all that's really good. Um, and it's helpful, like indications to um, making sure, I say it to clients now that you're your number one asset. Like you gotta make sure that you're leading yourself really well um, before you can lead anybody else. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Dan Starrett, he was, um, I didn't know him that long. I haven't talked to him in probably 20 years, but he made a difference for me um, just because he noticed me and he wow. respected me and I felt it. And here you are, here you know, as I acknowledge you, you know, I, I just went through this experience with you in Boise and same, same. You're yep. one of those people who now looks at other people yep. and genuinely sees them yeah, and gets curious about them yeah, and holds space in such a loving manner. Yeah. And there's no room for bullshit. Yeah. Might yeah. as well get after it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As you did for me, right? Yeah. You were able to hold up a mirror I didn't see before mm-hmm. in a way where I felt seen, loved, respected. And also broken and unraveled all in yeah. the same moment. And Perfect. that is a gift that uh, you've brought into my life. So I'm so grateful mm. for that. Yay. Mm. So let's, okay, we've talked about a couple of different things here and people are yeah. probably starting to tune in that this is a different level of conversation we're having today than we typically have. Those four questions on average take two minutes for every oh. other human to get through all of those. And you're just seeing, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I love it. It's exactly where we need to be because we're able to witness your wisdom and the level of depth that you bring mm. to everything you do. Mm. And we can go as deep as you want, as high as you want, but how did you get here? How did you go mm. from that upper peninsula camp to Adrian in LA, who's yeah. working with some of the most profound leaders out there? Mm. I'll try to be brief. I do get feedback a lot that I have a lot of words. Um, how did I, uh, let's see. I'll just, I'll, let me give like some quick stuff and then you can ask whatever questions you want. Um, so yeah, I was a um, pre-med major in college, figured out early. I actually didn't want to go do the whole thing and go walk, you know, and, and for lots of great reasons. I'm just more I start with a person. I don't start with data. Typically, I start on the ground. You know, as you've as you've the nature of my work now is we start. It's it's hand to hand combat. We work up to big objectives. Um. So I, you know, I started out as uh in college, shifted to a nursing major in college, and I uh, got a four year nursing degree, which was great. And I worked at it. Uh, left undergrad and moved to the big city of Chicago. Um, for a girl that I've been dating and worked at a children's hospital, which was awesome and got blessed to get to like work on their resource team, which meant mm-hmm. like I was the utility player and they don't let a lot of people do it. And they definitely don't let a lot of new grads do it, but for whatever reason, 
um, not whatever reason I interview very well. And I, you know, got in and they, uh, anyway, I, I, I loved it. I loved that work. I didn't really want to be a nurse. Um, at that stage, it was like, oh, get this skill set because this skill set and this license can take me anywhere around the world. And I'm big on adventure and big on helping people and serving people. So I thought I can go travel the world and go make a difference with people, whatever else I'm doing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but nursing is a great way to do it and a great way to fund it. So I did that for a little bit. But I didn't do it very long. I only did it for a couple of years. Um, while I was actually on a trip with a group of 20 people from Chicago in India, somebody had given us a, a CD, remember those? A mm-hmm. CD with a, a, a lecture on it or a talk on it um, from this guy named Erwin McManus. Now, Erwin was a revolution, is he's still here, um, is a really revolutionary type thinker in the Christian domain, right? So most Christian domain bores the shit out of me and I think is really toxic. But this guy had the music. He mm-hmm. gave a talk called The Barbarian Way Out of Civilization, which was essentially pointing out the fact that this Jesus guy in the scriptures was a revolutionary because um, they kill revolutionaries like they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, so anyway, everyone is very pro-risk, faith and risk being interlocked. And for me, when I was 25, when 24, when I heard that talk, I thought, ah, this, this might be something sustainable for me because everything else really bored me. Um, and so long story short, came back from that trip, read every book he, he, he wrote, and then came out to LA to visit and get to know the community. So, um, and then subsequently moved to LA to be an intern at the church called Mosaic. Mosaic um, was very ahead of its time um, back then. Even they didn't call themselves a church. They were, you know, it was just mosaic. It wasn't like First Baptist Church of Toronto or whatever. Um, and we were a very flat organization and you got to go do whatever you wanted. It was hyper entrepreneurial and it was awesome. So I came out and I became an intern and then got a master's degree in theology and worked there. And my work was to mobilize humans into productive action essentially mm-hmm. building we were like 3000 people in the church which never happens in, the, in a big city happens in the suburbs but not in the big city and my job was to catalyze ways in which our community could go make a difference in the city and then in the, in the world so that was great so i was into and we were early partnered up with gallup and teaching the strengths finder and we would do mm-hmm. our own personality stuff and we do all this which church people back then didn't do but mosaic was early in those conversations. So like teaching leadership, teaching personal leadership and character development. Um, and then we were very pro action. So going, making a difference, like you want to be connected here, serve here. That's, you know, they're all called volunteer staff and they weren't like, you know, just members of a church. It's not like this is a club. No, no, no. You're here to make a difference. Um, so long, let's see, I did that for a good while and loved it and took people all around the world, like dozens and dozens of trips and having everyday people pack up and go to Malawi and go to Nicaragua and go to Pakistan and go to, you know, I got to infuse my, my emergency response medical stuff when Haiti happened, Mm. you know, I got the phone call. This was like such a fun season of my life um, where it's like, Adrian, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know, give me 24 hours. And then we were on the ground with three doctors and three nurses and a paramedic and having our own medical clinic at the, Sports Centre, I think is what it was called, in Port-au-Prince. So anyway, wow. really fun era of my life of getting to mobilize people into action, into mission. Um, 
So I did that for a good while. And then I, through that, I met a guy named Jesse. Jesse's father's a billionaire. So he's a millionaire just because he was born. And he had his own spiritual transformation process. And I just happened to be the guy that met him and was a mentor and a friend of his. And he wanted to give a lot of money away. So he asked me if I would help him do that, which sounds pretty fun. So I left that role and started a private foundation, not knowing at all what I was doing, except for I had a tons of contacts, tons of great people. And I knew how to help people go make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a couple of years helping him figure that out, took him around the world, um, exposing him to all like the crises out there, if it's the water crisis or human trafficking or da -da -da -da, fill in the blank. And we ended up fall, he ended up really falling in love with giving people who have blown it a second chance. Mm -hmm. So that meant uh, partially because of his own story, right? So which is awesome, which I'm glad that it worked out that way. So we gave money to gang reduction, you know, nonprofits in LA, notably Homeboy Industries, which is the biggest and the best in the country. We put a cafe for them in City Hall. We, I ended up finding some nurse, uh, meeting, meeting some nuns and following them into prison. Catholics usually do pretty cool restorative justice stuff, they call it. And uh, followed these nuns into prison and ended up meeting this batch of lifers. Uh, there's about 20 of them at a place called Soledad State Prison up in Central California. And they were hungry. You know, they're going to be there a long while. So, uh, after meeting them and realizing that like, these guys are the shot callers in the prison, you know, they have lots of influence and they're like the fathers and the grandfathers to all these young kids and to all your Canadian listeners. Yes, I know yeah, Americans. We like to put people behind bars. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. does it? But anyway, we ended up, I met a guy simultaneously, this guy that I aforementioned Dan Takini, who had been doing leadership training work in the public sector and then with corporations for a long time but on the side had been doing all this gang intervention work mm. as soon as i met dan i knew i needed him i hired him immediately and for the next two years we went into prison and we would do these three-day deep dive leadership engagement trainings very similar to the revenant that we went through um except for all murderers so stakes are a little higher um and, and the door's locked. I, even I can't get out if I want to get out. So um, I learned a lot during that because Dan mm. has a, you've been around Dan. Dan has a way of seeing and speaking that I've never seen. So as soon as I met Dan, I thought this guy, he's Mozart with a group of people. And I want to learn. Agreed. I want Agreed. So the best in the world, in my opinion. He says there's a guy that's better than him, but I don't believe it. Um, and uh, so I immediately wanted to stay really close to him and did that for a good while and loved it, set up the organization, hired the people, got the board in place, funded all this stuff, which was awesome. Ended up the vision for that, got really focused at this one prison with this same group, which is boring to me. I want to go change the world, especially when we have that much money in the bank. We can change the system. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's what I would have preferred to do. But the guy that gave the money said, no, I wants to focus on this group, which I said, toodaloo, bless you. Um, but I'd gone through all these trainings. I'd gone through the training you went through, the Revenant process. Gone, we used to do a three-day one called the Discovery and, um, and a Coach's Academy um, that we now call Intrepid. Mm -hmm. And I'd gone through all this stuff just because I love learning. I want to be as effective as possible. And I knew I liked this type of work, which is deep dive engagement, advocating for people. Um, and I was naturally pretty good at it. And I knew if I could be really beautifully dangerous, if I could get some skills in place. So I, I'd done all that. And so like, that's how I got out and got into this work. That was about 15 years ago. So I, you know, I remember exactly where I was when this, uh, friend of mine, 
she said, well, what are you doing now? And I remember saying, oh, I'm coaching. Well, what's that mean? I said, I don't even know. Um, but it's kind of like this. people would be more honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. It's kind of like this. I don't know. And we had a great conversation and, um, anyway, I started coaching people and it, and it, and it, it, um, it kicked off really quickly Yeah. and I got tons of clients right away. And, uh, which is rare for coaches. Most coaches I know don't have, they have certifications at the wazoo, but no clients. I was on the other end. I had very little certification, lots of clients and it just grew over time. So, you know, one-on-one folks back then, mostly my age back then, mostly middle management, and then slowly, um, you know, became what it is now. Yeah. What does coaching mean to you now? Like if you were, if you were to talk through the lens of multiple years of experience. I know how much transformation you've, you've led these individuals through. Yeah. What does coaching mean now? Well, the core come from, for me, like the core stand, uh, we'd call it, but the core place I'm coming from is what I just call fierce advocacy. And that's what coaching is to me. Most, for most coaches that I've, I don't meet many coaches, um, nor do I want to. Um, there's lots of types of coaching out there. The type of coaching we do is, uh, fierce advocacy. So advocacy, which might make sense for folks like my job is to help people get where they want to go and get the results they want to get, uh, either in internally for them, externally for them, you know, companies hire us now for outcomes, which is great. Um, so it's advocacy, mm-hmm. uh, which I dig. Uh, just because that's a big life theme of mine is champion. I used to call it championing people, but it's really advocacy work. Um, and but it's fierce, which is stylistic, I guess. Um, yeah. Just because that's the way I'm going to hang with people is that no conversation is too dangerous, and I'm probably going to go find the most dangerous conversation and go right to it. Uh, because yeah. anyway, it opens up everything else. Like if we can hang in that conversation, then we could do anything. And it generates trust. And I'm always listening for what people don't want to talk about. Because if they're willing to talk about it, they're going to get a lot more freedom um, out of that. And it's a, it's a, we, I call it the pattern of one. Mm-hmm. Um, where if there's indications of where someone is inauthentic, and I can define terms, I guess, inauthentic, meaning not honest with themselves i guess they're playing a game like there's an external persona and there's an internal one and uh they're not being that real with themselves they're not fully owning um the complexity of the conversation i'm saying a bunch of stuff that might not make sense let me know if i do if if I'm, I'm, I'm with you i'm in it i i know you i'm just as you listen to your listeners yeah. let me know as you think about if, if if i'm losing any listeners here but like really owning it like like yeah like, um putting language to the unspoken concerns that are going on and unspoken concerns, unspoken payoffs, sneaky, they're sneaky payoffs because anytime somebody's complaining about something, they act like they're actually complaining. They're not, they're playing a game, Mm -hmm. especially if it's a chronic complaint. So if I've got, if anybody's got a chronic complaint, they'll say it's so bad and they'll complain about it. But if it's chronic, like it's not new, then there are payoffs. There are tons of them but there are definitely payoffs to complaining about it. And most folks don't want to do the math on that because it's convicting and because I wouldn't look as good in my own eyes that I like to, I wouldn't be as self-flattering and wouldn't have such an ego conversation going on, but I'm listening for folks' complaints because that's usually where the biggest breakthroughs are going to happen for them. Yeah. 
So yeah. people want to talk plans. They want to talk strategies. They want to right. talk next steps and all that stuff. And I get it. And we'll get to all that, but we're going to get to the heart of the matter, which is how human beings are all naturally racketeers. Like we're bullshitting ourselves and we're bullshitting other people and we know it. And we don't have language for how to like accept that. Cause I accept that about myself. I'm a sinner and I'm a saint. Like I'm a mixed bag. I'm really awesome and I'm full of shit and I'm really smart and I'm a fool and blah, blah, blah. Welcome to, I say, that's how life is. So mm -hmm. if I could put my arms around that and like be cool, just be mm -hmm. with the, I don't know, is of it. Like that's happening. Like that's, you know, I talk about leadership as a phenomenon. Like leadership is just happening in the moment. And if I can buddy up to that, or we call it hugging the cactus. If I can hug that cactus, that, oh yeah, I'm full of it. And I'm not like, I'm really, you know, I'm really sincere and it's really true for me. And I'm not, and I'm hiding and I'm scared and I'm vulnerable. But if I can be with the mix of that, then vitality, power, agency, uh, impact on other people, all that goes up. But most of us really don't want to get close to those dark corners in our lives. So a lot of the coaching is around helping people get comfortable with that so that they can actually engage this, engage the um, undesirable outcomes and what mm -hmm. generates the undesirable outcomes, which is, you know, actions they're taking or not taking, decisions they're making or not making, thinking that's generating those actions and decisions, and really the beliefs that generate the thinking. Mm -hmm. So for me, coaching isn't, let's get a plan in place. Mm -hmm. That happens, but that's not the goal because you could put a great plan in the hands of the person that generated the shitty results before, and the great plan will turn shitty over time because things become the things mirror those that create them. Mm. Does that sound weird? Like, you know, no, like if, if I'm, if, if, if there's a certain, you know, let's just, let's pick a fun one or a common one, common one. Um, is I'm, I'm, I'm not good with conflict or whatever. Is this like, something you know, a leader comes to you or is this something that you pull out of a leader? Is this what they're saying they're struggling with? Yeah, they might say it that way. They, okay. they, they would probably say it that way. It's like, you know, okay. I'm, I'm, they wouldn't say I'm conflict diverse. They would say I'm not good with conflict. Yeah. And okay. I would say, yeah, well, it just means things, the results that you say you're after don't matter that much to you. No, no, they do. Well, I don't know. There's certain conversations that you don't want to walk into and you're taking you're you're running the math on it and you keep avoiding this thing and you're actually going to betray yourself and betray the people that you're hanging out with or that you're leading all because you don't want to die like you don't want to like you know give up yourself and look like a fool or get real and feel vulnerable like you don't want to do all that and so you're just going to take you know live this kind of playing not to lose mentality mm -hmm. instead of playing to win so um, anyway, so coaching is really around that is like getting people connected to the conversations, the training we we're talking about, the revenant is really helping people examine the conversations that are, are usually unconsciously governing their lives. And one of the most profound experience I had, it was both you and Dan said it multiple times is how can we lead externally if we can't lead within? Right on. And that whole mentality of starting here first. Right. I remember somebody asked like, hey, how do I define what I just went through in these four days? Because there there aren't a lot of, I have yet to find the words to really yep. 
define the experience and the transformation that happened within, like at a cellular level. <laughs> I don't have the mm-hmm. words. And I'm pretty sure, as you said, it's a leadership accelerator. I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get that. And you know what? To the external world, they'll get that. Yep. And in so many ways, it is a leadership accelerator for the right. internal self. So we continue to take a stand, make choices, be mindful yep. of words and actions in the external world. Yeah. 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 That's the, I just started talking about it that way, like six months ago, because that's mm. like, I, I'm with you. I've been doing this 15 years and it's hard to put language to it. Mm-hmm. And even um, when you talk about um, coaching and your view of advocacy, what I want to pull back, if you're, if you're listening in, I really want to be mindful that advocacy doesn't land as cheerleading. And if you're listening to this, that this does not mean that, hey, Adrian comes in and coaches me and stands beside me and is my cheerleader. Right. Advocacy through my experience of you is calling bullshit, diving in, you know, asking really direct questions. I remember my first time meeting you uh, when we had a one with one on a call. So one of my first questions I asked leaders is like, well, what do you want to talk about today? And if they go into their bullshit story, it's like, hey. If you don't have something to say, then why are you wasting my time and yours? Let's move on. Right on. So like, if you're not willing to go into that depth, then, uh, you know, advocacy does not mean cheerleading. So I just wanted to pull that apart a little bit more so that people could feel the depth of what true advocacy actually feels like it means. Yeah. And I would say, you know, cheerleading is a part of it. It just doesn't, you know, like celebrate. I mean, everybody I work with, all hard chargers, uh, for the most part, people that are really hard on themselves because being hard on yourself is a pretty good strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, especially if you're going up the ranks, you know, Mm -hmm. it points out one of the, these paradoxes we talk about, which is like low, high, really high self-improvement. Everybody I work with has a high self-improvement, usually a pretty low self-acceptance, which works, but means that they're really self-critical. Right. So um, for all those that are prone to being self-critical, which most people are, um, it's good to stop and celebrate. Mm-hmm. And so that might feel like cheerleading, but the, uh, but that's not, it doesn't do the trick, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like ownership is what does the trick. So I usually warn new clients, you know, before they become a client, like on a first call, I say, if you want encouragement, call your mama. I'm sure she's all into whatever you're doing. Not me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to really believe in you. Now that's different than what your mama does. I'm mm-hmm. really going to believe in you, which is going to require me not to believe you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I'm not taking it. I'm, I'm, I'm noting the story you're selling me about whatever's happening. And I'm going to ask a lot of very uncomfortable questions about it in order to hopefully generate new levels of truth that I'm willing to accept and new uh, emit some into the surface, new levels of courage that you've been unwilling right. to step into. Mm. So, so yeah, so it's cheerleading. Yeah. Just a touch. Mostly advocacy is this, uh, you know, let's turn all the lights on. Like let's mm. buddy up to current reality, all the stuff we don't want to talk about. Let's talk about that. You know, from a hopeful stand though, that's right. the difference. It's no, right. it's no gotcha in this. Cause I, I got it. Whatever, anything I'm talking to anybody else about, I can only see it because I know it. I can know mm-hmm. it from me. Like nobody is, ever shocks me. Nobody ever offends me. I'm never aghast and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. I've done it all. And I'm aware of it. And mm-hmm. I am friends with it. 
like my own yeah. criminal side, we'd say, like our, mm -hmm. my own, you know, natural proclivity to like, want to look good and feel good and be right and be in control, like our survival needs, we call that. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad you made that mm -hmm. point. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Let's, let's dive into one example here before we wrap and really want to talk or touch on one of the, I call it the founder's dilemma, but it's really the bullshit story that somebody comes to you with that needs to be broken down and worked through. When you have a yeah. founder come to you, what is one of the stories you hear thematically, like it comes up often in, in the founder's kind of story and like what's keeping them up at night? And when you actually break down some of these stories, what do you actually see? Yeah, there's lots. I know. Um, let's see. I mean, one of the, let's, let's, let's hit, let's hit a couple, or at least well, I'll start with one. Um, very common is people don't get it. Mm, so like a founder that, comes to you and say, people don't get it. People don't get it. These guys, you know what? I've been here since day one. They don't understand mm -hmm. the brand. They don't really understand, you know, the uh, blood, sweat, and tears that I've poured out for this brand. These newbies, they've gone out and hired really impressive people that have come from very impressive companies. And they, you know, they're not, uh, those folks essentially don't buy into the culture that the founder's really propagating. And, but the complaint from the founder is people don't get it. Um, or they, or they feel looked over, like they're not getting the respect they deserve. Mm. Um, that's a big one. Um, one, I'll give a few here. We could pick one. Uh, a founder's dilemma for sure is almost always, not always, but they end up, most of their complaints are there because they are now, they've already founded it. And so the founding is done. And now they're for lots of people I work with, they're the CEO. Mm -hmm. And most founders aren't great CEOs. Because if they were, they would have gone and got a CEO job, but they didn't. They went and they had a vision and they had commitment and they had passion. So they went and started something, which is not what CEOs do. CEOs go run something. Agreed. And so they've got this thing that they've built and they don't want to, they don't actually, like in when they talk to me, I'll just say, you know, if you could not run this thing, would you, would you like to not run this thing? You know, would you, mm -hmm. would you like to just go out and like be the spokesperson for it and be the, you know, uh, you know, PR person for it and go recruit and go raise money or go do that and not ever be in meetings. Would you like to not run meetings? Yes. I would like to not run meetings. Yes. Okay, good. So CEOs love running meetings. Founders don't. So they end up feeling though attention because they have this belief about themselves sometimes true that if they're not involved the company goes sideways mm -hmm. and so they end up like a martyr they end up being stuck at like doing the thing they actually don't want to do anymore they're just unwilling to have the conversations or don't know how to have the conversations that generates effective leadership around them because most of them are crazy you know like founders they're crazy people and they're good we need them to be it's, crazy it's why we love them that's right. Yeah, they're <laughs> lunatics, like yeah. they're maniacs. And that's not a great lead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, me too. But that's not a great leadership model. You right. know, it's like you can't lead out of mania. I mean, mm -hmm. the complaints of the people around them are very consistent as well. Like this person's impulsive, they fly off the handle, they're all over the place, they come up with a new idea every five minutes, blah, blah, blah. Those are very common complaints of the leadership teams around them. 
Mm-hmm. And they usually they're in a seat now that they created, not that they earned. Right. So they're not like a seasoned CEO. They're a person that was successful at founding this thing. And now they're in the CEO role. And so it's very, there's a tension for them at like fine, replacing themselves. A big conversation that you have with lots of founders that mm-hmm. I have with lots of founders mm-hmm. that like replacing themselves a very touchy conversation. Mm, naturally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So anyway, these are a lot of the dilemmas people are. I know. I know, Adrian, I feel like we need a, a 2.0 if I could, do. Uh, and, and to just I'm dive in. into this and do I'm more in. of a coaching conversation. If you're open to it, I'll put myself on the hot seat and we can, we can open up a can of worms on this podcast yeah. with you coaching me. That would be fun. <laughs> it would, be, would fun. be fun. Adrian, where can people find you? Best place for people to hang out, find you, learn more about how to get involved with what you're doing. Well, you can always easy places, Instagram, like everybody else, adrian.k on Instagram. Um, you know, our firm is called Take New Ground. You can go to takenewground.com. We've got a, a leadership podcast called the Naked called the Naked Leadership Podcast. Um, so if you're a founder running a company, we talk directly to the issues that founders go through. Um, yeah. We don't interview a ton of people. We actually go talk about the what's wanted and needed to generate the results you want. Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot about framework and how you step into, you know, any of these issues around hiring and firing around conflict, you know, engagement around how to motivate a team. Anyway, all the stuff that's like actually there on a daily basis that we need fresh lenses so we can see it in a new way. And then we can be in it in a new way. So it's like, anyway, naked leadership podcast, you can go listen there. Um, so those are a few places. We'll link everything up in the show notes. And if you have a question about the Revenant process, which I just went through a few months ago, I'd be happy to share more. Next awesome. one is in Hawaii. Hawaii, in come October. and get it. End of so October. It's awesome. Get to that one. I mean, I went Wahoo. to Idaho. I loved it. You could go to you could go to Hawaii. A little yeah. bit of a different, different. Yeah. All, all good. Just a little Brand different. Brand new resort. We've got 10 rooms. I just heard yesterday on team meeting, 10 rooms. It's like 200 bucks a night or something. We've got oh, a great amazing. deal. A, a partner of ours has just dumped 180 million into this resort. And uh, it's going to be killer. It's going to be the last revenant that you went through was the best I'd seen in a long time. This one is we're even going deeper. So Cannot it's going to be killer. That's wearerevenant.com. Wearerevenant.com. Adrian, cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom. Beyond grateful. Can we do it again? Uh, 2.0 is needs to get on the books. Awesome. Let's (laughs) appreciate you. All right. Much love. Cheers. Bye, friend. Thank you for listening in to today's show. If there was a key message that landed with you, please share or send us a direct message on Instagram at Jackie Service and let us know. We love hearing from you. Also, to continue to keep this podcast growing, It would mean the world if you could take a minute and like and rate the show or share it with a friend. Our team is forever grateful. Until next time, we'll see you again on the Jackie Service Show.